millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We've been through a tough couple of years. What the hell happened? Pressures are real. The fuel price increases are real. Women are so deeply aggrieved and angry. You have to think about this as a father first. It is his way or the highway. I know our country can do better. He was an intimidating bully. A menacing, controlling wallpaper. Such marches, even now, are being met with bullets. We still have so much work to do. Call the election. Call it now. What am I doing right now? Let the people of Australia decide. Jenny has a way of clarifying things. Let's make some noise, Australia! Hello and welcome and thank you so much for joining Broad Talk. Once again, it's fantastic to be back in this chair after a, a long break and uh, Martin and I are pretty excited about talking about election 2022, probably because it's one that uh, we're all feeling specifically anxious about. And I suspect you are too. From the feedback from our first uh, episode last week with Jane Caro and uh, Georgie Dent, um, a lot of you are feeling that uh, the voices of women aren't really being heard and that the issues are very singular, very much around infrastructure and economic growth, all of course very important. But um, I'm, I'm having people say things to me such as, gosh, did, did we ever really march for justice? Did 100,000 people ever really come out onto the streets of Australia? What happened? What happened to all those voices? Well, it's a good question and we're here to uh, continue on the important discussion that we think needs to be had. Now, this week I'm joined by a a few fantastic women. I'm going to introduce a couple of them to you right now. Catherine Fox is, of course, a leading commentator on women and the workforce. She's an award-winning journalist. She's author of several fabulous books, in particular, Stop Fixing Women, which is a book I quote all the time. She's also co-author of Womankind. Um, Catherine was at Fairfax Media for many, many years in senior roles there, and she was um, responsible for establishing the Financial Review 100 Women of Influence Awards. She's also a member of the Australian Defence Force Gender Equality Advisory Board and she sits on the Australians Investing in Women Board and she's co-founder of the Sydney Women's Giving Circle. Sally Moyle is a, an academic and honorary associate professor at ANU's Gender Institute. She's also vice president of the National Foundation for Australian Women. Now, Sally has a really extensive background in international development policy and practice, and she was previously um, CEO of Care Australia. 
And prior to that, she was the Principal Gender Specialist and Assistant Secretary at DFAT, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. And Sally's held, oh gosh, many senior government roles in the Office for Women, in Indigenous Affairs, Disability, AusAid. She's also a lawyer uh, who previously worked for the Australian Human Rights Commission, which is very pertinent because we're going to talk about that today. Now, later after the break, we're going to be joined by our third guest today, Emily Dwyer, who is a transgender woman and co-founder of Edge Effect. Emily is busy right at the moment, so she'll join us a little bit later. And of course, in week two of election 2022, uh, one of the issues that just isn't going away is the issue of transgender, women's sport and the very controversial government uh, candidate, Prime Minister hand-picked Catherine Deves for the seat of Warringah. Uh, her comments about transgender people and women in sport have grabbed many, many headlines and certainly many photo opportunities for Catherine. So we're going to talk about that, but we'll wait until Emily joins us. In the meantime, I want to ask both Sally and Catherine, how are you feeling about the election thus far? We're only a short way into it, but it's really, for me, seems to have sort of um, set a an interesting pace. So what do you both think? Catherine, over to you first. How are you feeling? Um, I feel like um, I've gone into a time machine and gone back <laughs> possibly 10 or 15 years and that we're watching two um, middle-aged white men um, scoring points off each other on the national stage, which is quite depressing. But on the other hand, and I was talking to some very wise people about this recently, um, and one of them put it this way, and I thought it was an excellent way. We're almost looking at two parallel uh, campaigns, if you like. So we've got that happening on the national stage, very much from the rule book, very much an accepted framework that we've seen many, many times before, shedding mm. quite a lot of heat, not a lot of light. Um, but on the other hand, I'm in North Sydney. Uh, in Sydney, which is um, an absolute hotbed of activity at the moment. We have an independent candidate here, Carly Tink. Um, I have neighbours who I've known for decades who are out on the streets every day volunteering. I have never seen so much activity. And just to remind everyone that uh, she's one of a handful of um, independents, several of them women, including fantastically Di Lee uh, in the Fowler, mm. the seat of Fowler now, which is great to see as well. And they are, they're, they're campaigning about integrity in government, climate change, and women's rights. Mm. Um, so mm. that's where I'm seeing some rays of hope. I'm actually seeing a very interesting disconnect, however, from what's happening on the ground here and around me, and I imagine in a number of other seats with independent candidates and what's happening on the national stage. Yeah, that's fascinating, Catherine. I, I, I would say, you know, I concur with that. The the um, At the ground level, particularly where there are strong independents in a seat, the campaigning, certainly the discussion is different, I think. Mm. Sally, what about you? What are you what are you feeling? What are you seeing? Well, do you know, there's that old saying that says that we campaign in poetry and we govern in prose, but, you know, I have to say I haven't seen an awful lot of poetry from either side in this uh, in this election <laughs> campaign to date. It's really, um, you know, it's like almost like some kind of midnight fever dream, you know. It's, it's really hard to watch sometimes um, with all of the worst tropes and stereotypes playing out from each side. It's, uh, it's, I'm not seeing a lot of vision. I'm not seeing a lot of poetry. And, and I mean, I know that the ALP has a really hard time taking government from opposition, as does as does the coalition. It's hard to move into government from opposition, um, and and so it's. I think the small target strategy that the ALP is taking 
does make kind of sense, but it just it just means that we're continuing this lack of vision in our in our in our political um, agenda. And as as Catherine says, mm. it really is those independents that are providing us with some kind of future vision, uh, including on gender equality, which, as Catherine said, we know is such an issue out in the electorate. Um, and I was really interested in your um, podcast last week with Jane Carroll and Georgie Dent saying women need to start voting uh, on gender issues. We all now know that um, most women in Australia, the majority of women in Australia, see themselves as feminists. But we don't seem to be translating that into our votes. And and so we, I think, need to start doing some of that if we're to see these issues become more prominent and to really take the priority that they deserve. So we're not seeing that in this election. Uh, look, I, I certainly agree with you there. But uh, it's an interesting question because I've had a few people say to me why around broad talk and even this election series, why, Virginia, are you saying is this election speaking to women? I mean, shouldn't it be speaking to all of us? Why should we even even be asking this question though is it is it speaking to women are political leaders and and political campaigns talking to women is is it a valid question i look i think so and it's it's because it's because we don't speak we don't speak to women from government very often i mean i i've been part of the national foundation for australian women's gender lens on the budget reporting where we assess the whole of the budget to see how it's going in terms of the expenditure and whether it's delivering um, resources to the needs, priorities and perspectives that women identify as well as those of men. And we so often see that it just doesn't. And the so-called women's budget statements that we see government producing um, talk only to a tiny percentage, a fraction of 1% of the budget and, and identify those issues as being towards gender equality or focusing on women. The rest of it is mm. seen as as so-called neutral, but we know that there's no such thing as, as neutral funding. It always will um, it will have a gender implication and unless you do it deliberately and unless you identify what the particular gender implication is, it is likely to be making things worse for gender equality. You know, we know, don't we? We've been looking. We were marching in the streets um, a year and a bit ago, uh, thousands of women, uh, women in my age group, uh, young women, women from all kinds of cultural backgrounds, we were all saying the same thing. We're fed up. And then we mm. look at international rankings. We're ranked first in the world for education of women and girls. And what are we, 70th on economic participation? This country is missing out in the most massive and tangible way. Uh, we now have economic data that shows us that. Um, so to say that this is not part of, you know, shouldn't be part of an election discourse is, um, is, is actually flying in the face of really good, strong, solid evidence and also um, that surge of emotion and action mm. that happened over mm. the last 18 months. You know, we're not even safe in our own workplaces. So if we can't have an election a campaign that at least reflects some of those incredible concerns from half, well, 51% of the population, then that's that's reflecting pretty badly on this country. Yeah, Catherine, it's really interesting the way you opened up by saying that, you know, it feels like watching a campaign from, you know, 15 years ago or something. It, it certainly does to me. I was really shocked at the first couple of days when we yeah. immediately reverted to stereotype with, as you say, you know, that the white men, and I've got to add, the hard hats, the high-vis construction infrastructure, talking about economic growth. And, and the Prime Minister constantly saying, and even more so now, my priority is jobs, jobs, jobs. Of course, we all support economic growth, but, but completely 
absent from that discussion is the impact women are having on our economic growth and the profound impact women's contribution has on keeping our economy rolling. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to take a bit of a, a, a shift, though. Sally, I want to come to you to talk about the Human Rights Commission in particular because I know you've written about this yourself. There was a really startling piece um, in the Saturday paper a week ago about how the the federal government, the, the Morrison government, has defunded the Australian Human Rights Commission. And I was really shocked to to hear or to read that uh, internationally the UN has downgraded Australia's status now when it comes to human rights. We are now um, have been demoted to observer status at the UN because our Human Rights Commission has been doing so poorly. What... What does this mean in terms of Australia? But also, what's this telling us about, if we put a gender lens over this, how does this apply? Well, you know, women generally uh, speaking are more concerned about integrity issues than men are in Australia. There's a small but significant gap between the priority that women and men give to things like having an integrity commission or having, you know, or issues of corruption in government generally. Uh, and so it's really telling, and it's a real, it is a real gender issue that the government has been downgrading the Human Rights Commission in terms of funding, but also other organisations that have an integrity or oversight role, including the Ombudsman, the National Audit Office, and others. They continuing to to downgrade the funding for those. That really does limit our ability to deliver a clean government, if you like, and a government based on integrity, Mm. let alone the absolute debacle around the failure to have an integrity commission established, which was an election promise in 2019 by this government. Um, That is an absolute... Does that matter, though? I think it really matters. People are really concerned about uh, having a clean government, a government not based on rorts. We're all sick of it and over it. People feel, though, that nothing can change and in that case people switch off Mm. from government and we enable the thing to snowball. It just gets worse and worse. So we need to have a glimmer of hope for people that they say we can have a government that can be held to account. We can't continue to have these rorts and pork barrels and literal corruption. So I think the um, Human Rights Mm. Commission is a long, slow burn issue We've always known, and the and the international um, framework for human rights institutions has always said there's some real key um, uh, risks in relation to human rights commissions. One of those is the funding envelope, and we've seen the funding cut, you know, sequentially every year for the human rights commission, mm. and now it's facing a forty percent cut again, which is as bad as it's been since the Howard years. And also the other the other real risk for human rights commissions is the recruitment process, where government's putting in. Um, its mates without having uh, a proper open selection process so that we know we've got the best people for the job. And these things are matters of integrity and these are things of, of matters of of, um, of corruption, frankly, if you put your mates into jobs. So I think um, those are two issues that are really important for the Human Rights Commission and they do have gender implications because women do care more and significantly more about issues of corruption than, than men generally do. You know, it's interesting. I, I uh, recall uh, Barnaby Joyce when he was asked about the Integrity Commission that the failure of the government to actually deliver on the promise it made at the last election. He virtually said, oh, look, people don't care. People That's out right. there in, in my electorate, they don't care about mm-hmm. uh, Integrity Commissions. That's not what they're talking about. They, they care about jobs. Um, Catherine, what do you think? Is, is, is this something 
that that women do care about integrity, transparency, proper process, governance. Um, whilst we know that you know there's some very fundamental key policy issues that affect women directly that we talk a lot about, as we did in our last episode about um, early child evidence. Okay. I've seen shows, yes, indeed, as Sally says, that there is a concern, um, and I think that that's. Probably, uh, you know me, I'm not into biological essentialism. I don't think women are, are born having more of a consciousness, but I think it's when you've been marginalised. Uh, mm-hmm. Your antenna is very much up about fair process because when you're treated unfairly, uh, you you become much more concerned about it. But can I also say that um, the work of Kate Jenkins, which has just been extraordinary mm-hmm. um, as a sex mm-hmm. discrimination commissioner and the government's relied on her work and, in fact, mm-hmm. implemented some of it. I mean, okay, not all of not all of uh, it. Quite, no, not all of it, and it, uh, I wish they had. But she's done some extraordinary work and uh, and come up with those very detailed recommendations on um, mm. safety in workplaces, uh, on bullying and harassment. I mean, the government has been very um, very quick to to pull that up and to point to it and say that's what we're doing. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's an important part of their response uh, to this outpouring of concern, um, very valid and pent-up concern from women. Uh, And uh, Kate's work has been fantastic and um, pointed in a very practical direction, actually. And yet then we learn now that, that in fact, the very place that Kate works and uh, the staff that she uses uh, are being dramatically impacted yep. by this defunding of the government and the winding back of the Human Rights Commission. Um, before we take a break, I just want to ask both of you, though, about the role of our Minister for Women. Now, some people might be surprised to learn we actually do have a Minister for Women, a Senator Maurice Payne, who, of course, is also our foreign minister. Minister. Um, I raise this, I'm curious to hear what you both think about how well she has handled this portfolio, particularly as, well, this week she's uh, been brought to, brought into the uh, the headlines again because of the deal done with the Solomon Islands with China. Uh, and we know that um, Junior Minister Zed Zaselja from ACT was sent to the Solomons to try and, and, and stop this happening. And people are saying now, why on earth didn't the Minister for foreign affairs go because, of course, he failed to stop the deal. But beyond that, um, it's quite interesting that Senator Payne, to my mind, seems to often be absent when the big issues are really drumming, as happened when the March for Justice occurred. She was completely not to be seen. Mm-hmm. So what do both of you think about her, her, her handling of that portfolio during the, the term of this government? Catherine? It's very hard to say, Virginia, because I don't, like you, I feel that there's been, um, it's not been visible. Um, mm. So while I am, of course, aware that um, that Senator Payne is, is the Minister for, woman, for Women, um, I'd, I'd be hard put to remember action uh, when she's spoken up. She certainly responds when there are issues, as you say at the moment, uh, about Catherine Deeves said she came out and made a, a, a comment. But I think so much of the time I get the very, very strong impression that she's reacting to what's mm. happening at the time rather than constructively 
setting out a plan or a process. So, look, that may be a little unfair, but that's that's as it appears to me. Um, and so I haven't seen um, a huge profile built up there. Um, and I feel that often enough uh, when these issues come up, it's the PM who suddenly steps in and starts speaking mm-hmm. about issues to do with women when he when he occasionally does. So, um, yeah, I, I feel very much like you, that it's it's become, you know, and unfortunately I think this is, is probably true. It's seen as a, a slightly... Um, irritating portfolio that you tack on to something else. Um, she's a lovely person and in fact we've interviewed her before on Broad Talk and she was you know really generous and forthcoming mm. but then you know time after time after time yeah. you just see things not happening Sally you also worked in the office for women at one stage which which answers to the Minister for Women what's your take on how she's handled this throughout her, her, that portfolio throughout this government? Well look Maurice Payne as we know is not really a political animal she's uh, quite I think quite cautious and uh, considered and she doesn't re- seem to like playing those political games, but that's okay in a minister in a ministry like the the Office for Women, like the Minister for Women. It's good that she's got a cabinet level portfolio, so we've got women's issues in cabinet. And I would be hoping that she's pressing the case for gender issues pretty strongly within those cabinet discussions, because often you don't have a minister for women who's in cabinet. It's not a cabinet position in its own right. And so unless it's matched with a different, more senior portfolio, you don't really get those gender issues elevated to cabinet level. So it's good that they're there. And I'd be hoping that she is making those arguments behind those closed cabinet doors, and that's a very important thing. I think I haven't seen as much as I'd like of the Office for Women and the Minister for Women spinning the terrible concern out in the community into policy responses. We've seen quite a bit of effort going into the national development of the National Plan to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children now changing its name slightly, but that hasn't eventuated before the election. The election was Mm. called before that plan was announced, which is really disappointing. Um, And the Women's Economic Security Statement is good, but as I say, uh, it's a step forward from from the um, gender budgeting that used to happen under the Abbott years, for example, but it Mm. does only analyse a tiny proportion of the budget spending. It's not proper gender-responsive budgeting. So it doesn't do... I don't think we've seen as much spinning from the community concern as I'd like to have seen, but, you know, we have seen a step up on the government's response to gender issues, and so hopefully that's because Maurice Payne and her fellow ministers for women are, are agitating behind the scenes. That's important. I think you two are being very generous. (laughs) <laughs> I think you're being very generous souls. Um, it, you know, it's interesting because that lack of stepping up and, and speaking out is, I think, is, um, you know, it, it, it's quite unforgivable when we've had such major issues yeah. over the last couple of years. And most importantly, Australian women have been so public and come out, literally come out on the street and to still mm-hmm. not have, That's you right. know, the, the minister responsible in government to really take a front foot position. But, has been but, you know, that tells us a bit, I think, about the general appetite for change in this area from the mm. from the federal government. Um, and mm. I think it's a bit of a no-win. I think what we all know, uh, for a senior woman in that cohort at the moment to be speaking up, that's that's a very hard position to be in. And um, but isn't yeah. isn't that the problem though? Isn't that yes. something that just yes. has to change? We can't keep ducking for, or allowing people I like her to duck not. for cover. 
I agree. Yep, and, seeing, and, and what really is infuriating is seeing Liberal women leaving their positions and then mm. naming themselves feminists and then stepping into the gender <laughs> equality arguments. So I'm, I'm looking at you, Julie Bishop, you know. I mean, it's she should have been doing it when she was the Minister for Women all those years ago and as the Foreign Minister she should have been mm. doing more agitating internally. It's, you know, Julia Banks is the same. I'm, You know, it's very disappointing that some of these conservative women aren't agitating because gender equality, you know, we had some great advocates for gender equality on the coalition side back in the early days. You you two are dangerous. I, we could go on talking for a whole hour or day about this particular issue, but I'm going to take a break because I want to bring in Emily, who is, is free to join us um, in a moment, and uh, we've really got to tackle this transgender issue that is raised in the election campaign. I really want to hear what she thinks this is all about. We'll be back in just a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. We've got a fantastic second half of the um, today's episode to uh, now introduce to you Emily Dwyer. Now, Emily couldn't join us earlier. She was busy on a um, another presentation. But Emily is a transgender woman, woman and co-founder of Edge Effect, a specialist diverse. Now, Emily, correct me if I get this wrong, but is it Sojieski? Is that right? Sojiesk, so sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression and sex characteristics. So they're um, characteristics of rights holders recognised by the, the global human rights system. Right. But we can talk about LGBTIQ people for, <laughs> for today. I'm so sorry, but it, it's, I know I'll get that wrong if I try to say it again, so I'll stick with LGBTIQ+. But anyway, I, I also just want to um, background everyone on Emily a little bit more because she's got an incredible background in well, journalism, uh, radio for ABC for some years, freelance uh, correspondent in Southeast Asia for 10 years and did some incredible work in Afghanistan um, uh, way, way back in 2004, right at the beginning of the war, um, training um, journalists who were beginning their career and training radio journalists in particular and producers and what have you, who've all gone on to do or many have gone on to do terrific things until stopped now by the Taliban. Her background in humanitarian and development organisations really quite extensive and, look, she's just an amazing person. So, Emily, thank you for joining us. I am. I'm, I'm kind of. 
I sort of want to apologise too. I'm, I'm sorry that I, you know, the first time you're joining us on Broad Talk is a time when I'm asking you specifically about ge- transgender issues, but you seem to be such an obvious person to talk to this week. Given the transgender issue in the campaign has grabbed daily headlines and it seems just to be getting hotter and hotter, um, and we're referring, of course, to the Prime Minister's special captain's pick of Catherine Deves as the candidate for Warringah. Yeah, a seat that's currently held by independent Zali Stegall and uh, was Tony Abbott's seat and he lost it to Zali at the last election. And uh, so the Prime Minister put uh, Catherine Deves um, in that seat. They've thrown a huge amount of money at her campaign. And then we learn that she has made some very um, uh, anti-trans comments uh, on social media and holds some very disappointing views, um, says that uh, she finds uh, images of the robo, uh, rainbow uh, triggering and has, has made it really clear that she uh, thinks that trans women don't belong in women's sport, which has become a, a big issue too. So in a nutshell, Emily, and I know this is not easily answered, but what do you make of how this is playing out? What's going on? Well, um, thank you for that introduction, Jeanette. And I mean, I would, I would love not to be talking about Catherine Deems. I mean, I, as a trans woman, I would love to be talking about what political parties are doing in terms of addressing rental rights or housing affordability, aged care, or so many other things which are relevant to LGBTIQ people. But here we are once again. Um, talking about baseless attacks on trans people's lives and i think to put to put deep's con, uh, comments in, in context these are kinds of things that trans people hear at, at all different stages of their lives they might um, hear it from from families from from people at school in workplaces down the street so when we hear comments from someone like Catherine deves which are just so full of hatred and full of misinformation about trans bodies being mutilated about trans women being sex offenders about people transitioning for money or fame and taking over women's sport as if there's some kind of global conspiracy it's these are not isolated they, they happen in, in, a, in, a, in the context of of people's whole whole life course and it's really unfortunate it seems with this gov- with this government and other recent coalition governments that you know there's a there's a pattern of, of this issue coming up time and time again be it the the gutting of the safe schools campaign the way that trans people were dragged into the campaign about um, or campaigns against marriage equality, the way that people in parliament seemed willing to throw trans people under the bus in the religious discrimination bill, um, the kinds of arguments we hear in other contexts like Mark Latham's hateful inquiry and and so forth, and now now trans women in sport. (laughs) Being trans is not easy. Um, People struggle a lot. And I really want to say that if there are trans people listening, um, I see you. I real. You're a human who deserves rights and opportunities, like 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 any other person. And look after yourself, and, and please do get help if you need it. But I, th- I think you know we. It's so easy to get, get caught up in the here and now of of, the, of, mm-hmm. of these of these kinds of comments. But you know, I think if if we sort of project three years into the into the into the future, you know, and, and if Catherine Deeves does does get elected, what will what we'll have is you know um, a senator. Chandler and then Catherine Deves, you know, putting these arguments, you know, in, in the guise of, you know, trans women shouldn't be um, play, playing sport um, against other women. But it's, it's, it's setting up the context for three years of, of, of culture war. 
and mm-hmm. that that's what I what I imagine is is really going on here. That that now this is a captain's pick. Um, it's you know the um, Scott Morrison is is is, def- is you know putting a lot of effort into defending this person's role. He and is. He is a lot. <laughs> absolutely. So there's there's an agenda there. Yeah, and he keeps insisting that he won't, um, uh, you know, call for her to be disendorsed. And despite strong opposition, even from the New South Wales Treasurer saying, you know, basically what she says is abhorrent and she should be disendorsed. Um, He's doubling down, isn't he? He's doubling he really down is. on the whole thing. Catherine, do you think that's? I mean, you're an astute observer of these campaigns. Do you reckon that's a that's been a strategic mistake on his part because this is going to really burn him? You know what, Virginia, I'd be tempted to say yes, but. But strangely enough, and sadly, tragically enough, I think it probably plays to part of the electorate. And in fact, I'm sure the Prime Minister was quoted today, I don't have the exact words, as saying, look, I'm I'm only expressing what a lot of people think, or she, Catherine Deeves, is only expressing what, what a lot of people think. I think this is, you know, a, a pretty awful and cynical exercise. Um, and I think that unfortunately, I would just like to, I guess what I would like to think though, that, that that cohort that they're referring to that thinks that they can't say this, but on oh, the electorate has to walk on eggshells, that was the other part of that, yeah. um, is actually a shrinking part of the electorate. Um, but uh, look, you know, sometimes I'm a little out of touch because of the circles I move in when I say those things. So, you know, I think they're doing it very deliberately. Yeah, I think it's strategic. Sally, what do you think? Look, I think that it's really worrying that clearly this is being done by design deliberately to appeal to a particular proportion of the electorate. Um, And it suggests to me that the coalition is willing to move further right and to shore up its own really conservative seats in outer suburbs and regional areas that are much more conservative generally, and that they're willing to jettison the more progressive elements of their their coalition. They're meant to be a broad church, right? But they clearly are willing to toss half of their church out. Um, And what does that tell us and where does that take us? And what really worries me, I mean, trans people have never really been given proper acceptance in the Australian community at all. They've never reached that basic level, whereas we've seen the broader LGBT, LGB community, you know, been given a much greater acceptance since the debacle of the um, marriage equality uh, survey and I worry that that's going to be wound back as well so that the gains, some of the gains we may have won for parts of the community might be lost as well. And that's sort of triggered by statements by Catherine Deves where she says the rainbow flag triggers her, you know. Like this is a broader concern Mm. than just about one element, the trans community. It seems to me it's a a harbinger of a broader rollback of rights for LGBTQI people generally. Um, and following on from the terrible, just terrible winding back of those rights in the US that we're seeing. it's This is a direct mm. copy, I think. So it mm. worries me where we're heading. There was a, a really terrific piece written this week in the Sydney Morning Herald by um, a young trans woman, Dale Sheridan, who I've met here in Canberra before. She's um, she's a writer and an advocate. And she said, among other things, it's a really good piece and well worth anyone reading, but she says, I wonder how insecure someone must be for the existence of another person to trigger such a discomfort and outrage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. Emily, do you see this as being, I mean, it's being positioned as if it's about women and sport and protecting women, but it's not really about women and sport at all, is it? Well, even if it was about women and sport, I'm not even sure that it, 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 
it carries much weight or holds much water. I mean, I'm I'm a very bad field hockey player. Um, I I, play, <laughs> I've, um, I played hockey at school in the B team 30 years ago, um, didn't play much after school. Um, about seven years ago, I approached the Melbourne University hockey team and said, look, I, I've just, I'm early stages of transition. Would it be okay for me to play? And, and they wrote me back an email saying, yeah, sure, um, we can find a team for you, but make sure you bring a mouth guard. And they were a whole lot more interested in me bringing a mouth guard than they were about about my gender identity. And I played in teams there, you know, not not I mean middle middle level teams, with women who had better hockey skills with me, who were faster than me, who were stronger on the ball with me. We won games, we celebrated, we drank, you know, we had a, we we had a good time. And I for for me that was just huge because. Um, you know, I don't always want to be a trans advocate. I, I want to be Emily sometimes. And the fact that those t- team members and coaches just treated me as another player is, is, is outstanding. And I think there's probably lots of examples of that. Um, so I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure that, that that many people in Australia actually consider sporting grounds to be a, a, a battleground for the, cult, for, for, for the, for the culture wars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think back to the marriage equality debate and, and think that, you know, politicians were – were really dragging their heels. I mean, the Australian community made up their mind that it's actually kind of fine for for, for people in same-sex relationships to be married. Well, well before politicians had the courage to actually legislate. Yeah, it was all, it was almost like Parliament was surprised by that overwhelming vote by the Australian population to support marriage equality. Parliament was like, oh gosh, we didn't think that. And was isn't the it case. isn't mm-hmm. it interesting, Virginia? This incredible interest by these men in women's mm. sport. Oh, yes. How extraordinary. How extraordinary. And I, I, hope that, I hope the next big headline will be how they're so interested in women's sport when it comes to equal pay, when it comes yes, to equal broadcast right. rights, when it comes to equal, equal representation. Emily, what do you think? Well, I think it's really, it's, it's absolutely no coincidence that it's the some of the same leading men within this coalition government who seemed unwilling or, or incapable of addressing violence against all women in Parliament and, mm-hmm. and in Canberra, that are the same people who are, who have selected Catherine Deves and are now defending her when there was mm-hmm. an opportunity to do something different, and that that is absolute mm-hmm. absolutely no coincidence. I mean, transgender people as well as you know, lesbian, gay, and, and and other people, we we kind of throw a spanner in the works of, of patriarchy because we, we don't fulfil the roles that we, that that we are meant to fulfil. And so we get we get punished for that, but there's an opportunity here for solidarity between um, LGBTIQ movement actors, uh, women's rights organisations, and other progressive organisations. And I think I mean, our opponents see that, and so there, there is an attempt to sow division um, between uh, women women's rights uh, organisations and trans organisations, between LGB focused people and and trans focused people. We've seen it in the US. We've seen it in the UK. People are trying to bring it here. But my sneaking suspicion is that the Australian people actually don't want this um, and that mm-hmm. much like the marriage equality debate, what what we're going to find is, is, is that the community is going to drag the politicians kicking and streaming to the realisation that the community is actually quite happy for and quite at peace with trans mm-hmm. people existing, being considered human, having human rights, and living, um, working, and playing with everyone else. Um, so I hope mm. they catch up quickly. Um, but it's absolutely no coincidence that it's the same 
that the, 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 the same conservatives that, that are that are attacking what that are not addressing violence against women who are prosecuting violence against trans people. Absolutely, and the other part of that, Emily, I was so fascinated to see Tony Abbott, who's got enormous credibility as a commentator on women and women's rights. Of course, um, <laughs> Exactly. Yes, it was once Minister for um, Women. But, you know, coming out and, He's got a wife, yeah, he knows all about saying women. that, you know, how dare women, uh, women of any kind, <laughs> criticise Catherine Deeds because apparently we're not allowed to criticise mm. each other. It's this classic thing, isn't it? Uh, but men apparently can criticise each other uh, and not be considered, you know, terrible sellouts, but uh, for a woman to criticise her, it's, it's, mm. it's a no-win. You know, it's, it's that wedge that they use every mm. time. Well, as Emily's saying, you know, it's a really about building that division among women. Look, we're going to run out of time and I'm so sorry about this because, the, again, we could talk about this for a, a very long time. But, Emily, look, I can't, I can't let you go without asking, given your background in media, and you're now, um, you know, like I, decades down, down the track of a media career. How do you see how the media is covering this campaign? We were saying at the beginning before you joined us how it feels like a very old-fashioned campaign and kind of media have just fallen into lockstep with that. How, how do you see the media coverage thus far? I found it painful. To be, to be honest, I, yeah. I I find myself not wanting to engage with it. Um, you know, on, on Twitter, I have seen that clip. I think it's Jay Rosen who, you know, ten years ago, critiqued horse race journalism in a, in, in Australia. It's really boring, and it's certainly not delivering us the kind of analysis that that that, that would, you know, in, invoke a, a, a gender lens, or, or is actually even addressing kind of key issues. I mean. Housing affordability is this, is this massive issue in Australia that apparently politicians won't won't be won't be talking about, and the media is not especially interested in actually sort of pres- drilling down into the, to those issues either. Um, we've got another what four and a half five weeks of this. I, I really hope it gets better. <laughs> really, really, really. Hope. I, don't, I don't think it will. <laughs> it's all about a, a one after gotcha moments, isn't it? It's it's about gotcha moments. Who won the day? It's just yes. not good enough. It's a, it's a contest, isn't it? How many points um, they're scoring on their campaigning, rather than who's the best person to govern the country? Um, yeah, and indeed the best team. We're only seeing, or it's changed a little bit. I think Penny Wong's been out today, but you know we're not seeing women's faces or hearing their voices. Oh, I know. It's, it's been very, very but the boy's own. And given that of both major parties, the leadership group is all men, as in the, the leader and the deputy, um, it feels very much like a boy's own it party really to me. Can I ask you, we're going to have to finish, but can I be bold enough to ask you, and you can say no if you like, um, can you give us your prediction, your, your, your call as to how you think it's going to fall, how it's going to Look, I think what's going to happen? Do I have to emigrate? We might be surprised at the independence. I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that we do get a hung parliament. One of them will. I don't know why they keep on resisting saying that they'll have a deal with the with the crossbench or the independence. I don't know why they would resist that. But mm. I do hope that that's what we where we find ourselves, a really close or hung parliament with a balance of power held by an interesting gang of independents, I think, and many of them women. I think that would be a really good outcome for Australian politics mm. into the future. But I, I can't really predict, Virginia. I'm, I'm sort of looking at the thing through my fingers in horror at the whole thing. I don't know where it's going to land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sally. 
Sally, you're not you're not you're only you're not the only one covering up your your eyes. I am too. I cannot stand watching the the TV news, for example. Uh, Catherine, what are you are you are you going to be brave enough um, to make very, a call? Very very tight. Um, but let, let's not forget that the last federal election was extremely close as well. Um, and I think that has slipped a little bit from the consciousness. Um, so very tight. I'm like Sally, I have a strong feeling, and I, as I've explained to you, I'm possibly quite biased. I'm right in the middle of um, an independent campaign in, in my own home uh, suburb. So I have a feeling a few of them are going to get through, um, and I think it could actually indeed uh, be pivotal. So that's my, that's my hope as well. I think that could be quite healthy for our country. I'll, I'll go out on a limb. I think, there's, I think there's actually quite a lot of disaffection out there. I, I'm, not, I'm just not quite sure how it's going to break. Um, and whether it will break for mm. for labor or whether it will break break for the independents and and then how how that will then be expressed in people's Senate votes um, where where the where the greens then 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 sit. Mm. but my my sense is that, yeah, we've been through a pretty tough time. yeah, I, so I, 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 my sen- my, I've got a feeling there's a there's a there's a desire for change of some form. Um, we'll, we'll we'll have to see. okay, we will have to see fingers crossed. I'm 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 buoyed by your. I think I, I I'm feeling a little bit of a sense of optimism from all of you a little bit about having faith in the Australian electorate mm. to to um, deliver something governable, <laughs> if I can call it that. I don't know. I don't know. I just I I got to say I feel really anxious about this this election. Mm. I think it's it's a really critical one at a time, particularly for women. At a time that is pivotal, and uh, you know, if we don't if we don't start making significant change in the term of the next parliament, I think you know, Australia is really going to struggle to lift its head, particularly when it comes to gender equality, human rights, and many many of these issues. Unfortunately, we are going to have to leave it there. And I want to thank Catherine Fox, Sally Moyle, and Emily Dwyer. You've all been fantastic. Fantastic fun and and really fantastic insights too and really thoughtful. Um, I hope we all get to talk again and I want to thank you for listening and staying with us and thank you for those of you who have been sending me messages and and your thoughts. Um, please keep it up. We are on Facebook. Broad Talk is on Facebook. Um, you can join our, our, our group actually, the Broad Talk Roundtable. Just send Martin and I a message and we'll throw open the virtual doors and allow you in um and they've got a couple of hundred people in there and some great messages come through we're also on twitter and thanks to martin we're now on instagram may i say i really hate instagram but um martin's very good at it uh but look we're we're very slowly getting our little social media pedals going but please do help push broad agenda broad talk along and give her a bit of a leg up she's a bit of an old dame and she's a bit lazy when it comes to social media but she does need a bit of a push along so broad talk and i'm supposed to say to rate us and review us but i really hate saying that so i'm not going to say it properly (laughs) thank you for joining us and until next time Keep talking. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.